Unknown Mortal Orchestra is Ruben Nielsen, the driving force behind the genre-defying late-night R&B adventure. Ruben continues his exploration of sound and vision through lustrous guitar work, charming melody and psychedelic production. You're tuned into Roots to Grooves. Everybody, welcome to another edition of Roots to Grooves. Thank you for joining us. I'm Jesse. I'm Jay. And this is the show where we talk about uh, musical artists, talk about their mindset, their perspective, their accomplishments, their mm. goals, their dreams. Um, yeah, today yeah. we're talking about Unknown Mortal Orchestra. Yeah. What do you think, Jay? Uh, really great group. Um, I say group because <clears throat> has a title like you think it's a group and a sound that you think is a group a mm -hmm. band and there are other people involved in here mm -hmm. but uh reuben nielsen is the main driving force behind this band slash project right yes yeah yeah he's the creator and the the singer produces most of the music mm -hmm. um he's kind of the yeah the band leader yeah and and uh you know drives the creative forces forward yeah um, cause he's playing, he plays guitar, he plays drums, he plays bass, keyboard, synths. Yeah. Um, and then he does lead vocals for everything. Yeah. Um, his, his brother Cody Nielsen is also part of that. Yeah. He's, he's officially part of the band now. Um, but from 2013 to 2018, he was just in, in the studio as a band member. Right. Studio. Yeah. Playing musician, different things. Player. Ideas and that. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah, and then we got Jacob Portrait, who's on bass since backing vocals. Yeah. But yeah, like you said, uh, Ruben Nielsen, he's kind of the guy, he's the leader. Yeah. Um, really cool guy. Yeah. Um, yeah, we could talk about him in, in a second, but overall, these guys play uh, psychedelic rock. Yeah. It's mixed with R&B. Yeah. It's groovy. It, it, it ha they have some funk elements, mm -hmm. um, soul as well. Yeah. And it's a, it's a really cool mishmash of these different genres in, in a really unique style. Yeah. Um, it's very chill. They, they gone kind of from a, a lo-fi sound to a little bit more of a higher production, hi-fi yeah. um, sound, and then kind of back towards lo-fi again, yeah. as, we'll, as we'll see as we go. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, kind of a little bit of garagey, some lo-fi stuff, indie um, and they're from New Zealand. Yeah. Originally. Yeah, yeah. Currently based out of Portland, I believe. Yeah, not too far from here. Mm -hmm. Portland, Oregon. Um, yeah, I mean, that's the way to say it. It's psychedelia, disco, soul. Mm -hmm. Like, it's all on the surface, sounds kind of all over the place mm -hmm. if you name all those genres. Right. But it all comes together really well in how they produce the music and how Ruben puts the music together. Um, even on one album, it goes from 
disco to soul to psychedelic rock all in yeah. one album but it's all very still cohesive and glued mm -hmm. together in that sort of production style and songwriting style that he has kind of thing mm -hmm. um yeah um yeah very interesting agree that first we just we came in on this song uh multi-love yeah that's off their third album yeah multi-love yeah yeah um that came out like a few years ago and we'll talk about that later but that's the album that i got introduced to these guys from right i think it came up on my spotify or something like that and was their kind of breakthrough album i guess in some ways i've seen it written about like in that way mm -hmm. kind of thing so yeah, yeah, yeah totally that's the one i would yeah. describe as them yeah. kind of coming into themselves as a band yeah um and as like a true group you know like um yeah i don't know before we get too into yeah. it let's just kind yeah. of take a step back and, and look from a distance yeah yeah should we talk about reuben Old Rube. Old Rubes. Down in, uh, <laughs> yeah, our boy Rubes. Yeah. In New Zealand. Yeah. Grew up with his family. Yeah. Um, I think he was actually born in Darwin, Australia. Okay. Says. But like really young, they relocated to New Zealand. Um, mm -hmm. His dad being from New Zealand, his mom being from Hawaii. And okay. uh, they, they both have musical backgrounds. They uh, toured in the 70s across America. Um, with somewhat a lounge singer called John Knowles. I don't know who this person is, John Knowles. But uh, yeah, she was. A, I think she was a dancer, and he, his his dad is like a, a musician as well. Why well, we can talk about that a little bit later because he has mm -hmm. collaborated with his dad on a few things, which is interesting. Okay. Um, and uh, but you know, Ribbon's always had this sort of connection to America because Hawaii, basically being America, kind of thing. And he has an uncle that lives in uh, Portland. And it was on a trip that he took to go to visit his uncle where he decided that he wanted to relocate to Portland, Oregon kind of thing. But there's a whole other, there's a, there's some more stuff about his childhood like <laughs> before that happened kind of thing, I think. Yeah, let's, um, let's, let's take it all the way back. Yeah. Um, I don't, well, yeah, what do you know about his little childhood? Like when he was um, really little? I knew that he wasn't, like, even though his parents were into music, he wasn't playing music himself. Mm -hmm. um, I think when he was, like, really young, like, maybe 12 or something like that, his dad got him, like, a a yellow, like, Fender kid-sized scaled guitar. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I think it was, like, a miniature Les Paul. Yeah, that's it, yes, yeah. Style, yeah, uh, yeah kid's guitar. And uh, which I think he's posed with in, like, a photo on his Instagram or something mm -hmm. like that. And I heard an interview asking him about that and... He said, you know, they just used to take photos with it. He didn't actually play it back then kind of thing. I wonder, is um, that guitar still around? Um, I, yeah, good question. I don't know. Maybe. Anybody um, knows where it is, let yeah. us know. But um, so he was actually, as a kid, really into drawing and comic books, mm -hmm. he said. Um, right. That's where he's kind of his, his yeah, passion. Yeah. His passion lied at he, that time. Yeah. He was um, into like a lot of like uh, early Spider-Man comics. There was like yeah. one guy, the guy that created Spawn. I don't know that the name of that illustrator, comic book creator kind of thing, but mm -hmm. he was one of his like idols growing up. And right. yeah, he thought he would do that, like, mm -hmm. you know, something artistic related. And he said his dad actually like pushed him to wanting to be a painter. And he right. like, would do things like at one point when he was a kid, he bought him a book about Andy Warhol mm -hmm. and, uh, 
and this he said this book was just like all like old old photographs of like Andy Warhol in in the warehouse situation that they had kind of thing showing all these parties and he said like naked women were in there and stuff like that. yeah he thought it was kind of interesting but he said his dad always wanted him to be a painter but like a, a successful painter not like a poor like you know struggling artist right, right, kind right. Of thing but like which is why he pushed him yeah. to Andy Warhol because he's yeah. kind of a famous he's famous for making money off of his paintings yeah and you know i guess also artistic integrity or yeah i guess in this era of like if, you know because if you know a lot of painters like even um van gogh or whatever in their time were not successful mm-hmm. like now they're successful long right. after they've deceased sort right. of thing. but andy warhol being one of those few people doing modern art successful in their time sort of thing um which is maybe a motivation for him, his dad getting in that book kind of thing and yeah. pushing him in that direction. Um, but um, it wasn't until 19 years old that he uh, he got, his dad gifted him a, a proper guitar mm-hmm. and that's when he started playing music for real. Yeah, for his 19th um, birthday. Yeah, and it was a weird story, yeah, like about that. Like, well, I was yeah. going to say, yeah, for yeah. a little background context. Yeah. Um, his his father and uh, I think other members of his family have had issues with substance abuse, mm-hmm. which is you know neither here nor there. Mm-hmm. Not not um, trying to be judgmental or anything, but that's just some adversity that he's going through as a kid growing up. Yeah, yeah. And that was one of the things that was kind of affecting him. And I think his dad went through a time of trying to make make up for like maybe ways he wasn't proud of acting or something. So that was yeah. he was like getting doing things for his friends and family to. I don't know, some kind of yeah. reparations. Yeah, because he said, Reuben said, like, growing up, um, I think his parents separated pretty early on mm-hmm. when he was a kid. And so he'd spend time, you know, with his, his mom's house and his dad who lived in various flats, he said, and, like, you know, he'd always be making music with his friends, but they'd be getting drunk all the time and you right. know, heroin pro- problem as well and stuff like that. And uh, He said his dad went in and out of rehab three times and mm-hmm. it was on the third time that finally worked for him the rehab situation and yeah he said part of part of the steps to rehabilitating yourself is to make amends with the people that you maybe wronged in your life and stuff like that and he said one of one of the things that his dad did um to make amends was to gift him the guitar on his mm-hmm. 19th birthday yeah um but prior to that um, at that time, when he was nineteen, Reuben he was studying art. I think uh, he got yeah. into like a pretty prestigious place in New Zealand, right? Or, yeah, the University yeah. of Auckland. Yeah, and I don't know what the difference was. I saw it also posted as Elam School of Fine Arts, right? Yeah. And Elam must stand for something. Yeah, I don't know, or it's a New Zealand <laughs> word, or it's a place. Or, yeah, yeah, I, don't, I can't. I don't know. It said both things, like the University of Auckland. Yeah, I don't know if that's the full name. Right. Yeah. It doesn't really matter too much. Yeah. But, um, you know, because in his, in his like high school years and elementary school years, he said, actually, Reuben said he had a lot of big problems of insomnia. Like, right, right, right. Up. So he'd be like awake all night and then asleep at school mm-hmm. and then therefore not really doing very well at school. And when it came time for him to go to college and pursue his art, which is something his dad encouraged, Yeah, I think his dad went around and he got... Um, like letters of recommendation from a lot of the teachers that were like sympathetic to the situation mm-hmm. and basically helped his son get in to um, the university to study kind of thing. So Okay, cool. Um, and that's what he was doing when he was 19. He said he was, you know, he'd left home already. He was studying. He'd, 
he had an apartment and uh and uh yeah got his guitar and then started uh basically he said imitating playing along to like a lot of records that he liked and stuff like that and yeah yeah 100 yeah. percent. Yeah. um i guess yeah one thing can a little more context for while he's yeah. at at school yeah. um and this kind of flowed with him in different um you know interviews that i saw of different parts of his life when he's talking about different parts of his life and like he'd be at school and he'd be doing these art projects and it would begin to feel like a job because mm. it kind of is yeah and you have to get these done for a, a certain class or whatever and it felt like a job so then he started going to guitar as like a side hobby to get away from that yeah feeling of having to get things done and to right. work yeah and i think he, he he i think he always kind of feels like that way as soon as it's something that he has to do he wants to divert his attention to something more creative where he doesn't have any yeah. uh, deadlines or standards or whatever right yeah. and so he's just kind of going through just a little mindset yeah, yeah. Uh, perspective yeah um so then yeah he started playing more guitar and kind of learned the ropes yeah. or the strings you could say yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then um yeah I, I he did he graduate college i think so yeah i think he did yeah and then anyway he got into music though yeah um basically so started a band yeah i think uh, with his brother right cody because his yeah. brother was uh, a little bit younger than him mm -hmm. but into music as well and uh and they decided to form this band their very first band the mince chicks yeah yeah and so they were pretty good and uh, I listened to some of it. It's oh, really? some of it's a little bit close to waves, like we talked about. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, a little bit, you know, like pop elements of pop hooks, mm -hmm. good melodies, but yeah. with kind of like noise rock, kind mm -hmm. of garagey, yeah, um, kind of stuff like that. I, I don't okay. know too much about them, but they okay. they saw a lot of success and they were opening for the White Stripes on really? tour. Um, opening for some some big acts like that. I didn't know this part, portion of the story. Oh yeah, the success with the Mint Chicks. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah so they were yeah. like pretty successful. And that was all before he was doing Unknown More Orchestra, or some of that was during. Or no, I like, think it was completely before. Wow. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So like he yeah. had a whole basically a career, and some of these interviews I'd see him talking about his life story, and he didn't even mention the Mint Chicks. Yeah, this was so far away, I guess now. Um, right. It says from 2001 to 2010 is when they were doing that. Yeah. But that's still before Unknown I, Mortal Orchestra. Yeah, yeah so, still before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think Unknown Mortal Orchestra was only this these past 10 years. Yeah, right. About. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, I mean, yeah, this guy's 41, Ruben is. Right. So, I don't know. The whole thing seems like he's pretty young and spry creative, yeah, creatively. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but he's kind of, you know, it's been around the block. Been and, around, yeah. yeah. Which is cool. So he's very, yeah. Um, yeah. you know... He's gained a lot of skills and talent and experience. Yeah. But I think the the Mint Chicks had three albums. Wow. Okay. And then, yeah, they went on tour with some bigger bands. Uh, yeah. White Stripes is the only one I can think of off the top of my head. Right. Uh, but super cool. I guess there was a lot of tension between the band members. Okay. Kind of constantly. Yeah. What I read about. And that just put a lot of you know pressure on everybody. Mm. And eventually he, it kind of drove him to want to go away and to stop doing music, basically. And that's when he moved to Portland. Right. Uh, Ruben moves to Portland and he became an illustrator. Yeah. Kind of like his old dream. So he's kind of yeah, yeah. backtracking and doing his first passion. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know specifics about that, but he was an illustrator for yeah. a business. Uh, it was, uh, I think, a film production company. He okay. said. Yeah, he's doing illustration for in Portland. And, uh, and I think he might have had his wife, because I think his wife is from New Zealand. I think they might mm. have been together at that point as well may have already had a kid 
I know he has two kids now. I'm not sure if he had kids when he made that move. It was right but, around that time that we yeah. started the family, basically. Right. Yeah. 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 And, um, and yeah, I think it was like all of that whole experience with Minchik's, um, where he was sort of kind of seems like burnt a little bit by the whole experience. Mm -hmm. Like as, as crazy as that is, some other people supported for yeah, yeah, years. Which is pretty, oh, yeah. uh, what else? Uh, fucking, uh, TV on the radio and the black lips as well. And the white stripes, crazy shit. Yeah. Like, and I, I noticed that I think, I think it's just black lips. I don't think it's the black lips. <laughs> I think it's the black lips. I, 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 I've seen that. Oh, really? But I, I listened to that lips? band before. And if you look on Spotify, black lips, it's just black lips. Interesting. Just want to throw that out there. Because some right. people throw the the. And I'm like. Sometimes it's easy to do. Like, no, uh, well, for sure. But yeah, so I think like, you know, he, he'd moved with his wife to Portland and was working as an illustrator for this film production company. And basically he'd decided that music wasn't going to happen again. Like he thought that, you know. He didn't like the industry. He didn't like the way things were going. Mm -hmm. Like um, he's kind of lost his lust for it, sort of thing. Right. Um, but I think it was around that time where he started really, like, as he was just doing the job, he was listening to a lot of like old like psych rock records or mm -hmm. something like that. From what I saw, um, to the fact where he kind of became a bit obsessive about that genre, mm -hmm. and he was like trying to collect and find all the artists and all the records. And he said basically it got to a point where he'd once he started like unable to find new things he hadn't heard of before, he was just like finding the same artists that he'd already heard and the albums already heard. He decided he wanted to create his own music in that style kind of thing, mm -hmm. um, um, which is what inspired him to do what became Unknown Mortal Orchestra. But I think starting with setting up a little basement studio um, mm -hmm. in his house, gathering the gear that he had and... I think he said it was just a very like personal thing that he kept secret. Like he would just be down there toiling away, trying to create some things and yeah, he, not really sharing it with anyone. Like, right. I think yeah. he specifically mentioned that a couple times where he, he says he likes, he's really intrigued by the idea of doing something creative when nobody else knows about it mm, and just yeah. being super into this idea or, you know, whether it's messing with synths or writing a song, mm -hmm. putting sounds together. Um, just a cool experience for him and a little getaway. Yeah, and yeah. that's, I think you could see that throughout like his career, throughout the discography. Mm -hmm. He's always kind of kind of go away from what's happening, and like he's even said he's willing to suffer for the for his art. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, to the point of trying new things or experimenting with this or that. Yeah. Um, like moving to Portland or moving just generally moving yeah in a new spot yeah, yeah trying things in a new way um it was something else he was asked at a different point um later in his career i know we're talking about a certain moment right now but he was asked later on about living in america and like what he thinks about it what he likes about it and doesn't like mm -hmm. about it um one of the main things he said the difference between new zealand and america is that there's a there's a genuine love and support for music in mm -hmm. america versus in New Zealand, he said in New Zealand, you have to be like Lord or someone or like a big name, million dollar artist. Otherwise people don't take you seriously. Mm -hmm. like there, I guess there's no, it's, it's both a cultural thing and a commercial thing where he's the way he said about New Zealand is that, um, you know, if you just did music on the side, people wouldn't be taking you seriously kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Whereas he said, you know, in America, um, 
you can be doing music on the side, but pe there's a little bit more of a um, I can't remember the word he said, but there's like a, there's there's an interestingness to it, you know, right? Like that other people share here, and you know, yeah. So U.S. is the home of a shit ton of like musical genres and artists mm -hmm. over the past century or two, you know, kind of thing. century. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> centuries centuries yeah. only a couple um, though america's still pretty new but i mean like jazz and blues you know yeah um and i've always said this as well my, myself like i think when i was a, to, a musician in england trying to grow up and playing out there despite london and uk having a big heritage for music um i found i found that the idea of being a touring musician out in america is more normal and accessible than it is in the UK for mm -hmm. some reason. Like I think just culturally and money wise, like out there, like whereas here, I think like I've always looked at America as like you can be an unknown artist and go on hit the road and go to all these big cities. And mm -hmm. I mean, there's so many big cities to play in America and also smaller places along the way, kind of thing, right. so, to do that sort of thing. Yeah, but yeah, I was just saying that's something that Ruben said about the differences, and that's why. He said, you know, there's a lot of other fucked up shit that happens here with politics and all that. Mm -hmm. like, <laughs> yeah, right. But for the music portion, like he finds himself at home mm -hmm. in America versus New Zealand. But yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. Which is interesting because like in Europe or something, there's so many different countries about yeah. the same distance away as our cities in right. America. Yeah. So for touring, it's almost easier over there. Well, that's the weird uh, thing. Yeah. Like growing up, I wouldn't even entered my mind to go to a different country yeah. to play. But now I'm older. I'm like, yeah, if we live in London. We'll just hit up a couple of cities in the well. UK and then go to Paris and yeah. then go to Amsterdam. They're all right there. Exactly. Yeah. Same thing. But yeah. Um, but we were talking about his Portland experience. He's yeah, making the music in his basement. Sort of yeah. Thing. And Secretness of doing that. Like, yeah, yeah. So I think to, to loop it back around, he was he had this experience of starting a family and being in a new place back with a new day job. Yeah. And so that was kind of, um, you know, he started gathering this, you know, creative energy from these experiences. Yeah. Um, and that's obviously how he creates his music and tries to get these emotions out yeah. and express himself yeah. um, while he's experiencing these emotions. And that was kind of overwhelming him to the point where he wanted to start music again, Yeah. kind of casually. Um, and then, yeah, so as far as I know, this is where Funny Friends comes in. Yeah. And so he he had this track, one track, I think he made it basically by himself. Yeah. Kind of a lo-fi uh, track, and he just released it on Bandcamp. Yeah, without uh, without even the name of Unknown Mortal Orchestra. It was like an right. anonymous Bandcamp page or something, he said. Yeah, and so, so th I think, um, I mean, labels started looking at it, and they noticed it. And I'm not sure. Well, if, do you want to play it? Let's play and then we'll talk and about, then we'll talk about there we go. what happens. Nice. <laughs>
Another another long uh, super fade out, super long fade out. Yeah, I love that. I got chastised for that back in the day by some producer that heard a track where I did like a really long fade out on this track. Didn't like it. I think he got anxious because he was like, "When's it gonna actually fade out?" <laughs> yeah, I like long fades out. So if the vibes right, you gotta do it. You know, if the vibes yeah. right, it works really yeah, well. Exactly. Yeah, hundred percent. But that was funny friends, with, spelt with two f's, capital F, little f, on each of funny and friends, mm -hmm. funny friends. The very first um, anything that um, Reuben put out publicly with this new music he was making in his basement in Portland. And um, yeah, he said like, uh, he put it out anonymously without any name attached to it. Just this random Bandcamp page. Yeah, why would he do that? I mean, I think he said he wasn't really thinking about it. He just kind of did it. And I mean, I did this long, I've started a Bandcamp page years ago and I, I didn't even think about anything of it either i was yeah. just like because it, it also back then Bandcamp's kind of a bigger deal now i think yeah in the music sort of scene of artists and listeners but back then i think there were it was it was kind of just starting out sort of thing mm -hmm. a new platform and uh yeah he just put this track on there he got picked up by a blog a couple of blogs they found it somehow i think again back then because Bandcamp was a new platform it was easier to see new things that just sprung up on there kind of thing and right. people were like more tuned into like oh what's that sort mm -hmm. of thing um so he got picked up by a couple of blogs spread from there pitchfork ended up picking it up um he said he was sitting at his job at this film production company doing his illustrating job and he heard his track playing like blaring across the office kind of thing and he went over to the the person playing it, it was like where'd you get this from he was like totally what band is that? he was like what why is the person playing my song <laughs> and he said oh yeah i had a friend at this magazine that like sent it to me like something i should check out kind of thing and he was like well shit and this is yes like the newest hot thing and no one knows who who it is and he was like shit i did that like six months ago Damn. <laughs> i didn't know this story yeah yeah and so he was like he checked his van camp page and apparently he'd been hit up because uh, the only way to contact him was through the emailing through his Bandcamp page. Right. And he saw a lot of messages there from like record labels that were like, we really like this. Mm -hmm. Do you have, can you share some more music? Is there any more music that you have kind of thing? We're interested. Um, and it basically went from there. Um, a few different labels picked him up, well, contacted him through that. He shared his music, mm -hmm. I think privately to them without releasing any further stuff. Right. Um, until um, I think it was um, Fat Possum Records. Mm -hmm. was a label that picked him up for that yeah so we signed um, yeah fat possum yeah. records yeah and then that was the first single off what would become the, the debut album, album. yeah, yeah. self-titled yeah. unknown mortal orchestra yeah and that's that's crazy i was thinking about this as i found out the story it's like i mean what a stroke of luck or weirdness to just mm -hmm. to just to be discovered in that way kind of thing I'm yeah not, i'm not really convinced that it can happen right now i don't know but like I mean, I mean, I think yeah, maybe it, it does can. go to show that luck yeah. does play a big part in yeah. all of our lives, even. Yeah, yeah. And sometimes, you know, yeah. things happen for some people that don't happen for others. And, yeah. and luck, luck to an extent is something. Well, I think also another thing that plays into this something we've talked about on other episodes, uh, one of the most recently being Idols, I think, said this. And a few other artists were like um, not really like attaching any expectation out of it mm -hmm. like he had like when he uploaded that track to Bandcamp, he had zero expectation that people would find it or listen to it or anything would come of it like you know 
he wasn't in that mindset at all kind of thing and just goes to show you like you know if you're not really i mean there's a place for intent i think and mm -hmm. and chasing dreams and you know reverse engineering things and stuff like right. that but like but also the value and you know not really oh i'm gonna upload this and i'm gonna be right get a record deal with the or whatever. whole ball like, yeah 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 it's like you don't want to be too contrived about it or whatever. No, yeah, like yeah. like you said, it was six months. Yeah, it was six when, months when when that got discovered after he'd released it. Yeah, yeah. So that's a quite a long time. Yeah, it's true. A, yeah. a lot of times people would be like, "Oh, well, it hasn't happened this week or next week or a couple months in." <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Maybe no one's gonna notice this song. Fine, I'm still at my day job. Yeah, yeah. Got my illustration job going. Yeah. And then somebody, you know, when you least expect it. Yeah, yeah. Labels are hitting you up. Yeah. So pretty cool story. Good, yeah. good research on Jay's part. Thank you, folks. I tried this week. Some some weeks I feel oh. like I, well, I don't know anything, and yeah. I'm just <laughs> sca scooting along in the episode. We're just scooting. <laughs> but yeah, I think he recorded like a bunch of other tracks then around that same time, and, and it's those are the, the the tracks that made up the mm -hmm. first album. Because he said after he shared it and he got the deal, he didn't um, like everything was exactly how he originally recorded them. Recorded them. He didn't like go back and tweak them. Mm -hmm. You know, he was just like, "Yeah, this is what I have," kind of thing. And the label were like, "Yeah, let's put it out." Perfect. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, um, the album cover is is a picture of a building. For, mm -hmm. for those of us um, on the YouTube, we could put a picture right now. There, there it is. Yeah. So pretty cool. It's an old looking kind of. It's like an old futuristic looking building, and yeah. it looks kind of run down. So yeah, it's yeah. kind of got a, you know, apocalyptic. Kind yeah. of fut retro futuristic vibe. Some like metallic things with a long driveway, blue skies in the background. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's bare kind of bright. Tr trees bare of leaves, like a kind of a full situation, maybe, or something like that. Yeah, so yeah. apparently when he was making this music, he just kind of gets involved with the imagery. Yeah. And he, he really liked this photo mm. um, as he was making the album. Yeah. So it's a, it's a picture of a Petrogora, it's called Petrogora Monument, I think. And it's uh, it's in Yugoslavia, okay. And it's built to commem commemorate World War Two, mm. um, I don't know sites or land, okay, yeah, something like that, some kind of memorial though, right? So it's a real place, yeah, okay, yeah. So it's yeah. a real photo of a real building yeah. um, that has some history built into it. So it's something cool to look into if you're interested, yeah. Um, and then as far as the music, he on this everything was recorded to tape, mm. which definitely lends itself to this lo-fi, yeah. Um, kind of quality that we heard off that first track. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, a lot of psych psychedelic riffs, pop choruses, yeah. um, funk-driven bass with breakbeat drums. And it was interesting on that track we played Funny Friends because that's him singing on it, right? Yeah, yeah. It sounds like a female vocalist. So it was very high-pitched. Yeah, like he, he yeah. does have a really nice... When you look at him, it doesn't look like he'd be the guy singing that song. Yeah. yeah. But... You know, obviously, you know, looks don't matter or whatever, but he does have this kind of upper register thing that he likes to go to, this kind of falsetto, yeah. soft, mm -hmm. um, I don't know, thing that he has, and it sounds really nice, really cool. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, otherwise, I mean, yeah, the music's really melodic, and it's warm, and it's bright, and then this is when he he started that family. Yeah. Um, after this, there was, you know, some acclaim and success and excitement, so that they went on tour, he got his boys. Yeah. Um, I think Cody Nielsen, his brother, and then the bass player friend. Yeah, and some friends from Portland, and yeah, mm -hmm. um, yeah. So they and they they went on tour. Yeah, and it was you know like a pretty big tour, I think. Yeah, um, and they went to New Zealand and where, and where they're from, but Australia, and then I think some dates in Europe. Yeah, 
and they were really experiencing the rock star lifestyle. Yeah. And you know, which sex, is sex, drugs, yeah, rock and roll, and they were they were doing it all. Yeah, he said like you know he'd, he'd grown up with family with substance abuse things, and then he found himself kind of in that situation mm -hmm. of partaking in various substances and stuff like that. Yeah, on the road. I mean, you know, it happens, especially if you're on a scrappy tour. <laughs> you know, when you don't have much money to go on the road and right, um, partying every night. You know, yeah, that's kind you, of what it you is. gotta. Yeah, um, but the weird thing is, is, he said they got ripped off. The manager ripped them off on this first tour. And he said he came back home penniless. Really? Yeah. Oh, I don't know that either. And also there was a label switch up here. So I don't know if someone at Fat Possum Records is to blame, but I'm not pointing any fingers, Fat Possum Records. <laughs> <laughs> we don't know. I've heard their label before, their name. I think they've done a few things. But mm -hmm. but I think he said it was their manager that ripped them off on that tour. That's messed up. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so he said he came back depressed and his, his, his yeah. insomnia came back. Yeah. Um, after the tour, so he had to kind of come back and readjust, yeah, and mm -hmm. reacclimate back to family life, yeah, yeah. Um, if not for him, for his family, yeah. his growing child, exactly. Yeah, I don't know yeah. if it was a boy or a girl. He has a boy and a girl. Um, I'm boy not sure which is older, but yeah. Um, but so he's self-financed. He said his second album, which is called Two, in Roman mm -hmm. numerals. Um, so using the same basement, as same the basement, yeah, same gear and stuff. The um, so same kind of thing. Back to experiencing nine to five job life with my family, and he starts getting yeah. all this creative energy again, and he has to let it out somewhere. And yeah, he's back on this kind of music train. Yeah, so he starts working in similar fashion to the first record. Yeah, yeah. am I getting that right? Yeah, I think that's my story. I think that's the story. I don't know about his work situation in that point, but I think he might have had to do some stuff. Right that wasn't music related in order to keep things going during yeah. this time in okay. 2013 talking about yeah yeah so two came out yeah. in 2013 yeah uh, if we didn't say before the first album was 2011 yeah so a couple of years in between mm -hmm. um yeah so this one's just a, it's more good music yeah. solid release yeah. uh, melodic grooves yeah. blues rock riffs yeah um still pretty lo-fi you know melodic but really good and then signed and released to jag jaguar yeah, Jag Jaguar. Jag Jaguar. Jaguar. Um, or is it Jaggy? No, it's Jag Jaguar. It's called Jaggy. Jaggy. The J, the second J looks like an I. The J. Jaggy. Jaggy Agawa. Jaggy Agawa. No. Yeah. Well, <laughs> however you like to say it, folks. Um, and then and uh, they put this out, label, pushed it. This was a great album. He, and then they went on a fucking world tour again. Yeah. So just <laughs> for a couple down. of years. Yeah. And this time, not getting ripped off by the manager. So that's yeah, they figure yeah. out the business side a little yeah. bit better. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah. So they're they're you know gaining momentum and stuff, and it's really good. Mm -hmm. um, this album cover it features like a kind of a washed out picture. It looks like an old picture of some like hippie looking woman. Mm -hmm. I guess that is Janet Ferrar. Okay. Don't know her before this research, but she was some kind of high priestess mm -hmm. of a, a witch's coven mm. in Ireland. Okay. And he really liked this picture, same as the first mm. album. He liked that image. And during this creation of the album, too, yeah. he had this as a um, a phone wallpaper. Okay. And yeah. so he would just, he liked it. And it was kind of this vision of feminine power. Yeah. And he really liked it. So that that's just the album cover. Yeah. yeah. We'll put Hopefully, Jay will put a picture up on the YouTube. It's been up this whole time. Yeah. yeah it's been up. It was already up. Yeah. <laughs> 
Sorry for the audio listeners. We'll cut this out. No. Um, yeah, but good stuff. I think we got that story down. Yeah. And then Big Tour came home again. And uh, let's play a track off too to give yeah. everyone a little bit of a taster. We got one lined up, right? Yeah, uh, a track that you selected. Yeah, so this is one that I was introduced pretty soon after music from Multilove. Okay. Uh, this is called Swim and Sleep. What's the full title? Like a... Shark. All right. Sleep like a shark from Unknown Mortal Orchestra's second album two. Got a really vintage vibe to that one, right? Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. Lo-fi, vintage, yeah, groovy, yeah, chill, yeah, good stuff. Sounds like straight out sixties or something for mm-hmm. me a little bit. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, that's you know very simple. So it sounds like guitar, bass, and drums. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. Very. Uh, a lot of his music is minimalistic yeah i would say yeah um it doesn't usually overdo it with crazy production or a lot of things going on at the same time yeah um and i think that you know with the lo-fi kind of facade or whatever that it's using is Mm -hmm. it makes it really um i don't know just the simple stuff can shine yeah you know no definitely i like i love simple like produced music Mm -hmm. because it's very it's hard to do i think yeah that's the thing it's one of those things where he makes it sound really easy yeah but uh to get the listeners to be drawn into the the music and and find that groove and and lead the way yeah so he's doing a great job i mean that's what we're talking about unknown mortal orchestra today here on roots to grooves because it's good shit (laughs) (laughs) i put explicit on every uh episode even if we don't swear Oh really? Because I'm not checking for cast words, so yeah. I just everything's explicit on okay. Bruce the Grooves. So. That's good. <laughs> the most explicit podcast exactly. in America today. Yeah, every episode. Um yeah, and so like I said, uh went on tour again for like a couple of years. Mm-hmm. World tour um on this. And uh do they do any late night shows? I know they have done some late night shows. I think yeah, I think after this they were doing Late Night with Seth Meyers. Yeah. I think they did a different one too. I know I they've done who... Jimmy Kimmel. They did done... An, um... Oh no, Jimmy Fallon, sorry. It's oh. weird. I just watched this whole documentary on HBO about the evolution of late night TV shows. Oh, nice. I also recently went to see a live taping of the Stephen Colbert show, just to yeah. throw that out there, which is kind of a, a trip and an experience. But, I bet, um, I bet. Yeah, this documentary was talking about it all as well. It's very fascinating. One of the fascinating things, that's something I'm going to Google. This is a side note right now. There was this PBS late night TV show back in the 70s called Soul. Mm-hmm. It was just called Soul. Didn't last very long, ended up getting cancelled, but um, looks really hip, really cool. If you, can, if you can find any clips on YouTube, they interview people like Muhammad Ali and they had performances from people like Curtis Mayfield on there and stuff like that and really good interesting show yeah sounds right yeah um but yeah i know my orchestra they've done they did a, a few of, of those late night performances mm-hmm. um which you know only helps to cement yourself 
fan base wise or exposure wise i think it's right. still to this day going on any of those shows i think gets you to a wider audience that might not have heard of you before yeah that'd definitely be on my list of things to do just for fun bucket lists yeah, yeah. for sure and um and it was and so i think it was on this tour that he met this unknown anonymous lady mm. who um in the big pitchfork article that was written about her and about them this album and we'll talk about this uh, they just called her laura um just for lack of because he didn't want to you know okay no protect I, her identity and not say who she is i've seen an, I, I watched another youtube video where she was named may okay but also that was a completely was made up completely name made up because name, yeah. there is no name yeah um that we know of he kept that a secret so the story i heard is reuben's on to he there was this young 18 year old girl that he like they locked eyes with across mm -hmm. the room sort of thing this was in in japan while he was on tour in japan right it uh, was an off night though okay yeah. like a not a, a show of his but like I, a, I, yeah off night as in like he had the day off yeah yeah and uh they ended up striking up a conversation got along really well mm -hmm. he was just like very interested and in, in, enamored by this person kind of thing they right swapped contact details they ended up staying in touch, uh, not in person, but like over email, like mm -hmm. in, um, subsequently after that meeting kind of thing. And, um, and I think his wife at a certain point was like, she knew that he was messaging this person and he was like, can she send a, a selfie or something? Mm -hmm. Which is very strange. I don't know. But, um, and, uh, and his wife was like, wow, she's a very good looking person. And then his wife ended up corresponding uh, with this lady Laura or May or whoever she is, and uh, and got along really well as well. And, and then it said it started being a little bit like intimate, like he, he like love letters between his wife and this lady. Yeah, and he he was starting to get a bit uncomfortable about the whole thing. And uh, uh, subsequently, I think his wife had sh shared the letters with him, but he hasn't read them. He didn't want to read them, kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, but long story short, his wife ended up inviting this woman to come and live in the house with it, their I, two kids and reuben yeah and his wife yeah and i i don't mean to yeah i think no the, what you just said is correct but i think they were both aware of the situation that a kind of triangle had formed yeah and obviously i think reuben knew about the invitation and i'm sure they talked about that as, mm -hmm. as my impression mm -hmm. they were both on the same page okay um yeah so it wasn't like a surprise to him. I don't. Was like, yeah. That was not the impression I got. Okay. I don't know the exact details. Okay. More than what I'm saying, but yeah. I think they were all under the same. They were on the same page. Right. Yeah. And yeah, whatever they invited her to come live with their family and have yeah. a polyamorous relationship with. Yeah. yeah. As a as a trio. Yeah. Um, for better or worse. Yeah. And I think he was a little apprehensive about it. Yeah. Um, but he did want to follow through with it with it anyway. Yeah. Um, and for one reason, if not for the only reason being that it was another experience for him to have right and i i was i also got the impression that he he wanted to do it like for him maybe it wouldn't work out maybe it would be bad for the, his wife and yeah. his relationship with his family whatever yeah it could go bad mm -hmm. but then it could go bad in a, in a way that's outside of his personal life and just in his music it would yeah. be kind of a good experience for his art yeah if everything went bad in his personal life mm. he'd have a lot of feelings to write about yeah and i think he knew that right and i think he was like kind of prepared for that yeah one way or another yeah either way um, well that's the thing i mean that's so basically what we're getting at is the the third album is called multi-love 
Yeah. And uh, lyrically, emotionally, it's about that whole experience, the whole polyamory relationship and mm -hmm. his struggles with it. And he, he said he also met up with his, his brother and asked him about this kind of thing and told his brother he was writing about this. And his brother Cody was like, well, only you could be doing that. Yeah. Like, <laughs> be in the situation and using it as like inspiration for your right. music, your art or whatever kind of thing. Yeah. Um, Which is cool. So yeah. Multi Love, the album came out 2015. Yeah. As far as I know, this woman moved in with them in this relationship in 2014. Right. So okay. right yeah, up next yeah. to each other. Yeah. And I think most of the album touches on that. That's why he called it Multi Love. Yeah. Um, we started with the track on the show was Multi Love from yeah. this album. Yeah, yeah. Um, speaking directly about this relationship. Yeah. And uh, the the funny thing about the story, though, is that he, he didn't necessarily want it to come out. He wasn't really talking about it. Apparently what happened is a Pitchfork journalist was staying with him for four days. And at a certain point during that trip, this journalist was like, went to Ruben and was like, this is what I think the album's about kind of thing after everything you've told me. Mm-hmm. And then Ruben was like, oh, shit. Okay, it's like, it was like, he, the journalist was kind of right, but... But he didn't have the whole story. But he didn't have the whole story. And Ruben was like, I better just tell you straight up, like, the truth about what this is so all about. So that he doesn't go out to the public and the media and tell a story yeah. that's just not true. It's not true or misinterpreted or whatever. He wanted to be like, you know, put his version of events out there sort of thing. Right, and just yeah. real quick to interject, because that's one of the things that... Uh, he said multiple times that he doesn't want the listener to know too much about his personal life yeah. because he wants the listener to experience his music as he's creating it for them, for you, for us. Yeah, so you get your own meaning from the music. Yeah, so you can interpret it in whatever way you want and yeah. have it mean whatever you want it to mean. Yeah, he said like if he feels like you know too much about his and what his reasoning it's like he's stealing the weight the, the music away from you or something it's yeah like kind of said it, forcing you to feel a certain way yeah and he's not he doesn't want to do that yeah he wants you to have your own interpretation which yeah, is really admirable i think for an artist yeah. to not be pushing their like intent i mean they've already done that in the recording and the writing of the song mm -hmm. but you know however you perceive it is how you perceive it sort of thing right um, which is what was happening with that journalist, but that's a different situation. If you got a journalist right there and they're like, they're about to that's, write some shit, I better make sure that- That's the fine know, line and yeah, you, you can't, yeah. it's hard to see until you get to that moment where yeah. your personal life inter, inter, interacts with your yeah. music or public life. Yeah, and I don't know, and this was a breakthrough album for him. And do you, do you think it was that story that added to it being a breakthrough album or do you think it was just it was the I music think the, alone i think the music right. stands up for itself yeah but i mean you know the the old adage any press is good press right. i'm sure it couldn't have helped because it's kind of a, a fun little story like ooh, right. i got two wives now yeah there's some juiciness behind yeah this it's, a thing, it's a like. juicy little <laughs> tidbit of a story to know about uh, an yeah. artist that already has multiple albums yeah um and i don't know a level of success yeah so and uh I, it could be either one yeah, but I think the uh, music in the album does stand up on its own, yeah. even if because I learned about this without knowing that story, right? And that's how I got into this band. Yeah. Um, so I think many people could experience it the same way. So we'll play a track, "Necessary Evil," mm -hmm. and uh, it's funny because I I hadn't heard about this group at all when you brought them to me. I think I've heard you talk about them before, but I haven't yeah. heard any music. And um, and I was watch, started to watch this YouTube video of just Ruben on the guitar doing an acoustic version of this track, Necessary Evil. And he was like doing it. And then he got to the chorus and I was like, wait a minute. 
kind of recognized that. I paused the video, I went to Spotify to like listen to the full song, and I was like, okay, so I've heard this song. You, ha- you do know this one, you recognize this from yeah, somewhere? Yeah, th- from somewhere. I think it could have been on a Spotify playlist or somewhere. Mm-hmm. But, but it's interesting because I think when I first heard this track, I had no idea who was behind it. I thought it was some kind of R&B artist maybe or something like because it sounds mm-hmm. very R&B, this track or something. I thought, um, but should we give it a spin? Yeah, then, let's, uh, let's give it a spin, give everyone some context. Let's listen to it. It's good. from the album multi-love good stuff um yeah that i don't know if this is a correct thing to say but it, it reminds me a little bit of always always mm-hmm. is that you think yeah, that it's a little fair bit? to say yeah uh, who we did an episode on a few weeks ago check that check out. It out check it out um and also shaggy otis i don't know if you ever heard of shaggy otis no uh good old soul artist did this one track called strawberry letter 23 just kind of known but um yeah that that org is that is it an organ that he's doing in this track or yeah something like that yeah it sounds like it it's like it's interesting to me because it sounds like wrong but it sounds so good like when it comes in it's just like ominous a little bit it? it is i don't know what yeah. yeah i don't know what kind of key he's in or yeah it's like oh, but it's just, yeah. I don't know, it's just like it's 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 just it's very interesting because I've been thinking about writing music lately. I've been experimenting with a few things. And mm-hmm. The things I've been thinking is like, um, like building up a sequence, and then, um, and then, and then having that loop going, but then like strip out a few things and then try and do a different idea to it, kind mm-hmm. of thing. Is a is a is my technique or a way of trying to come up with like a part B sort mm-hmm. of thing, and. I'm listening to that and that's where my head is going to on like a music composition level sort of thing. It's like, you know, cause you could strip out like those vocals and that guitar line and then like see what I can come up with on the keys sort mm-hmm. of thing. Oh, it's slightly different, but it still fits kind of thing. Yeah, no, hundred percent. I've even seen so, artists talk about doing something similar to that where you play a track that you like that's already released a different mm, artist yeah, yeah. and just add a bunch of stuff to it. Just right. play over the top of it. Yeah, yeah. And then once there's just a cacophony of a lot of stuff, don't play that track yeah, yeah, yeah. That's and then see what else is left that's very interesting that is completely all by yourself hot take gonna take that yeah tip right there and it seems fun like yeah you're not copying anybody yeah. you know obviously all this music that we love we're already we're already being influenced by it and i'm a, I'm a little bit bummed as well on our episode that we did on jordan require a few weeks ago jordan Riquet or jordan Riquet. Because since we recorded that episode, I've gone through and I've binge watched all of his uh, tutorial videos that he put out during COVID lockdown. Mm-hmm. So Jordan Rakai, if people don't know, he's like a, he's from Australia, New Zealand as well, Australia. I think he was Australian as well. Yeah. Um, but during lockdown, he, he did all these like two hour videos, a song from scratch. Mm-hmm. And he was like showing his whole technique of what he does to like create songs sort of thing. And I've watched like about 16 hours worth of that now in the last week. I just binged watched it. 
So many great takeaways from that, by the way. And I'm bummed about it because I didn't know about it beforehand and I would have talked about it on that episode. Oh, yeah, right. Because <laughs> there's a lots of approaches that he takes to like making music that's very interesting. Mm -hmm. So, um, I mean, it's never too late. Never, I'm, I'm yeah. glad we know now. Yeah, 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 where, yeah. Where, where would you find those videos? Uh, they're all on YouTube. Nice. And uh, since... Like he released those like one a week during the heavy lockdown of 2020. Mm -hmm. And then he started a Patreon. And now you can subscribe to his Patreon. And uh, at the highest level, you can get one-on-one -on -one contact with Jordan Mackay for like mentoring and tutorialship. That'd be amazing. And you can play his music, your music to him and you can critique it and stuff like that. Um, Fantastic. But I, yeah, it's, I've been struggling for the longest time to try and create music again just in general let alone just in the computer with no instruments mm -hmm. and i did one track this week which nice. was, and I'll, I'll play it to you off air a little Ooh, bit. yes like, uh, and i was just like i'm excited using all of jordan rakai's techniques and i was like shit like this now jordan rakai you're my god yeah. <laughs> all right got me back in the flow of being able to create again without the fear of and I'll just say like right. a, few, a few techniques. Well, let's just end the episode and play that track. I'm, I, I want to hear it now. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Thanks for listening, we'll everyone. Uh, no, a few techniques. Uh, one of the one of the big takeaways I got from him was um, to just keep going, right? Mm -hmm. Because I've I've always had this issue where I, I start like a, a couple of loops and I'm like, oh, this sounds like trash, and then I give up kind of mm -hmm. thing. Um, but watching him create these songs from from scratch like he was doing a similar thing you know like his initial things that he did weren't so hot but after he kept adding to it and adding it and adding to it and layering things up and tweaking things and then going back to the original thing and messing around with them or deleting them or mm -hmm. whatever it's just like it just showed me like the power of just forging on just continue like you know yeah that's the hardest breakthrough barrier to get through is like you know getting through that slump and i think it's with anything you know writing painting music making you know getting started is always really hard but you have to get started and then once you get started you just got just continue for the mm -hmm. session you're in however long two hours you know yeah, get you, into you, that flow state or whatever right exactly uh, yeah you just have to yeah. to know that even these guys who are at this professional level that we talk about on rooster grooves yeah or whatever artist that you love, they're they're doing the same exact thing, and they're not getting into the studio and just placing yeah. all these things r just right where they will be for the end track. Right. They're yeah. not just oh, I just hit some buttons and there's a masterpiece. Yeah. yeah. Almost every time they're deleting something or trying something or yeah. you know just creating a loop yeah. until that loop inspires another idea. Yeah. yeah. And then you're just working with your own ideas. Yeah. yeah. And exactly. building off that. And it's a cycle of being inspired by the stuff you're creating, even if you don't like it at first. Exactly. Yeah. Because for me, it's like, even if I just, it's easier for me to adjust something to go towards what I like. Mm -hmm. If I just, if there's something there mm -hmm. that I can manipulate, mm -hmm. but it's hard to come up with a masterpiece on a blank slate. Yeah. You don't know what the end goal is. Right. Yeah. But even if you just like just jab it, just make random noises, whatever, then you yeah. have something to manipulate. Exactly, yeah. yeah, yeah. And yeah, that can kind of be a, a flashlight in the dark. The, a flashlight in the dark. That's <laughs> what we're searching for. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah, okay. Well, but yeah, we're talking but, about. But we are talking about Unknown Mortal Orchestra. Right? Yeah, we're yeah. back. Um, I'm excited to hear this track after we're done recording this. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, we'll see. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> It's like sharing something that like you think is good, but other people might be like, that's the same loop. 
over and over again. There's no a, progression. No. There's songs on the radio that are just loop. I have to turn it off already. It's so. true, yeah. Um, but, but multi-love. 2015. Um, um, we, we were talking about his the, the second wife moving in. Yeah, not even a wife, but like a... a, a Living a third girlfriend. Girlfriend. There was a love triangle. That his wife was had a relationship with and he had a relationship with. Um, she took the fo- the photograph that became the album cover for this as well. And that's his own studio. That's his studio, yeah, the basement studio with the big pink light, which has been emphasized in post-production because uh, apparently he needs a pink light to to be creative in, in his studio. It's like okay. a, a mood, vibe, choice that he likes to have kind of thing when he's down that's there. That's kind of cool. I like that. Yeah. I like pink. His uh, his children seem to think that he makes a living just from going down into the basement and playing guitar all day. Yeah, but. I mean, kind of, <laughs> kind of. Yeah. That's the goal, at least. Um, so as far as I knew, their their love triangle was like it was fine, it was good, and eventually, it's, this anonymous woman's visa expired because she's from Japan, and then she just straight up moved back. Right. And I don't know if yeah. you know any more to that story. Um, I think she didn't actually, she had to leave America, but she ended up going to South America and working some project. Cause this person is, a uh, does some stuff with video and photography and stuff like mm-hmm. that. Um, another creative person. So she had some project in, in the Peruvian jungle or something like that, that she was working on. Um, and, and so some of these tracks are on here after she left, um, like there's a track track number four can't keep checking my phone is apparently like a nod to like you know stand trying to stay in contact with her kind of thing oh i see nice um but like i mean it's a, it's a tough thing i think the way he talks about it he was always struggling with the concept of this three-way relationship just in interviews but also on the album um and asking different friends for advice his brother and another friend he asked for advice about how should I be dealing with this situation? How should I be thinking about it? Um, and I think like also uh, Train of Thought just left the station and now it's, I'm trying to run after it a little bit. It's still going a little oh, bit so slowly. It's a but, speedy uh, train. Yeah. It's one of those bullet trains in Japan. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. I'll never, no, I will catch it. I'll, <laughs> no, I'll get the next bullet train. Let's go. <laughs> That's all right though. Um, I was going to say something very interesting, but maybe well, not. But, Just um, say it when it comes back and we'll cut it in. All right. Okay. Yeah. From there, we'll just move on. Oh, okay. You got it? Well, no. If we move on, I will <laughs> never get it back again. Oh, okay. Well, let's, I'll just sit <laughs> in silence any, on our have, podcast. Do you have anything else to say about this album? About multi-love? <laughs> um, yeah. About no, I think story. We oh, I guess. No, see, this is what I'm going to say. Um, and I don't know if it's too personal for him, but he did put it out there kind of thing. Um, how the fact that his mother-in-law does not like him now because of all of this. So his, because of the relationship specifically. Yeah, yeah, his wife's parents and mother painted like said that this whole three-way relationship was something that he shouldn't have allowed to happen, kind of thing. Because he met her originally and stuff like that. But then you also have you know Reuben talking about his struggles with it. Yeah. And, and we don't have the third perspective of his wife publicly talking about it mm-hmm. either sort of thing. So I think, I guess that's something I wanted to say, even though he's talked a lot about it and it's been put out within his art, it's still his, like his outlook and his perspective. So I'm just saying like, we don't really know 
it's just like, but I mean, that's the artistic thing, right? We're just looking at it through his lens, one person's lens. Yeah, what he allows us to see. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. yeah, hopefully we're not getting any of this information wrong or we're not yeah. trying to, certainly. No, no. Oh, and we're trying to be as accurate as possible with what we're able to find. Yeah. Um, I mean, we might cut this out anyway, so we can, <laughs> can move on. <laughs> either way, either way, if anybody has any good info, though, let us know. Yeah. As always. Um, but yeah, we can move on from multi-love. Um, if you got something else, throw it in there, Jay. But otherwise, we go to sex and food. Yeah. Because that's good stuff. So... 2018. Two interesting things here. Because I hadn't heard of Unknown Mortal Orchestra before. I usually just go listen to the most recent thing. Mm-hmm. Recent album. And the the album I listened to was I See Dash 01 Hanoi. And, uh, it, it, and I was into it. It was like, great. And then I and then I researched and I found out that that was a follow up release to Sex and Food, because the ICO One Hanoi album is basically sort of like a collection of jams or a collection of like raw material mm-hmm. that made up a lot of the songs from Sex and Food. Mm-hmm. Um, but also there was this big, big session they did out in Vietnam in a recording studio, mm. and so he just had an abundance of material. It sounds like. Um, yeah, it was all yeah. Sex and Food and IC01 yeah. Hanoi yeah. was all the same sessions, yeah. like you said. Yeah. And then this was some stuff that wasn't used. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and then that's like, um, it's all instrumental, I believe, right? Yeah, it is. Yeah. So I didn't even know they had vocalists or okay, vocalists so, yeah. when I first heard <laughs> this album. That's crazy. But it's a great album. It's jazzy. Mm-hmm. It's funky. It's psyche. It's R&B-ish. But it's just wonderful all around mm-hmm. and then i went and listened to sex and food and i i just it was like completely different like, it, is, it, it is, is kind of completely different and it, it feels yeah it's presented differently with the with the vocals well and sex and food is more songs more and, more structured yeah and hanoi tunes. is like more free yeah it's free like, form free form yeah um i mean yeah a lot of it was probably just jamming getting ideas yeah. down and yeah yeah they're at this point you know seasoned professional musicians so yeah it turned out really good i don't know how yeah. much post po- post-production or overdubbing you know they did on it yeah, yeah um yeah, I'm yeah. S- certainly did they did a little bit of work yeah to to fine-tune it yeah so it's not just a live garage jam session yeah, yeah um yeah but sex and food is very good it's um they started this project by uh ruben had a guy named neil neil krug or krug mm-hmm and he's a photographer and he had him create the album art before the music was even created. Interesting. Which is kind of a cool backwards way. And obviously Ruben likes to uh, be inspired by photographs. Yeah. It's kind of a, a consistent theme with all his album work. Another album tool. Art. Especially he can come from a visual artist mm-hmm. background as well. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, yeah. So that totally makes sense. Yeah. And this, it's, I don't know, it's like a lady in a space suit with her hands over her body. It's... It's like a cross between a spacesuit and a, a fencing uniform. Yeah, you done yeah. Fencing with the 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 mesh uh, head yeah, like piece. The face that guard. They have. Yeah, the face guard. It does. Yeah, either that or uh, yeah, it's like a fencing spacesuit um, scuba diver yeah. in latex. Yeah. So I don't know. Cool image. Yeah. And then the the music's good too. Um, it's soulful. It's got funk. It's soft and relaxed. I think yeah. this one's a little bit more lo-fi kind of more back towards their first two albums. Um, and then a lot of the lyrics are really deeply political with like he's taking shots at Nazis or the president. Mm. 
um, materialism and greed and big pharma, yeah. et cetera. The list goes on. Right. Um, but overall, good stuff. Yeah. Um, we can play a track off this one to get an idea real quick before we talk anymore. Yeah, I really like this track, Honeybee. We, I think mm-hmm. we both agreed on this being a really good. Yep, it was unanimous. Unanimous. love mm-hmm. it when this group hits that um r&b disco realm of yeah. their sonic world it's like chill <clears throat> disco because they do a lot of other things and it, all of it is good but when they go into that stuff mm-hmm. then there's a few tracks across all of these albums where they go into that realm i really love it yeah yeah 100 percent. yeah um yeah no i couldn't agree more yeah uh soft and relaxed kind of yeah, yeah. lo-fi real chill got yeah, that yeah. beat going yeah yeah um yeah, the other thing I wanted to say about this album is there's a track called American Guilt. Yeah. Um, and this one's, um, I think a lot of people question why this song was even on the album. Yeah, I heard an interview ask him about it, what he, like, because the interview didn't quite get what he was trying to mm-hmm. um, put across in this song. Yeah, it's and it's like, quite different. It's, it's yeah. kind of heavy. Okay. Um, yeah. Can we play a, a yeah. little snapshot of it? Like just oh, 10 seconds or something. Just 10 seconds? Or, yeah. hey, up to you. <laughs> up to you on the board. Here we go. more than 10 seconds but uh we need to get I'm, get through the first chorus that's least. fair <laughs> so it's pretty good i don't think it it represents really any of the i don't think it really represents the music of the band or the band itself really yeah it's um, kind of got that uh 70s rock vibe uh, right but it also it reminds me of like t-rex who were from that era but also um wolf mother mm-hmm. yeah. yeah like 
that kind of thick, saturated. Yeah, no, I think rock I, I think I saw somebody. I can't remember where I read it or something. Somebody was describing it like it was like Jack White oh, ha- yeah. having like oh, like a wet dream and <laughs> about writing a song. Yeah, and that's what it kind of sounds like. And it, I would say Jack White as well because not so like more because Jack White's done two really good projects that remind me of this: Dead Weather and uh, Raconteurs. Mm-hmm. But not so much like White Stripe or his solo stuff. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. He's yeah. yeah, he's great though. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, I, I, yeah, but uh, yeah, we just want to play that track to to show everybody that they they do reach and they do yeah, yeah do stuff yeah. that's not straight up mellow chill. Yeah. Um, but that's the thing though. It's like on that same album, you got that what we just played and then mm-hmm. that track. But I think they mesh together somehow, like. Maybe it's just the production quality or whatever, but like yeah, because um, they both have the kind of lo-fi yeah yeah, um, like filter for yeah, lack yeah. of a better yeah, yeah. term yeah. And I don't know, it, it doesn't sound too far off to me, but it does sound a little yeah off. But I like a, yeah. I mean, it is it does appear like in the middle of the album right. So I like sometimes if you're listening to an album, it's cool to have a track that's kind of a separating factor yeah. Um, you know, for the the last part of the side A, quote unquote, or yeah. the first part of side B. So I don't know what they were trying to do, but it's kind of cool. I think um, he was talking about an approach to writing music, and I think it was this album, um, which is kind of surprising to hear. But he basically said that um, he wanted to write songs on the guitar first before oh, yeah. before producing them. Um, and like he, he said he spent a year writing the songs just on the guitar first. Uh, yeah, he was talking about this album, album, right? Yeah. I believe so. And yeah, yeah he kind of wanted to have them basically completely done as far as structure. Yeah. And the songs were written. Yeah. And then go into the studio. Yeah. I think he was mentioning that like in today's kind of musical industry, whatever you want to call it, a lot of people are kind of writing and, you know, creating and producing all at the same time. Yeah. Because you can now, it's easier. Yeah, you can. A lot of people have their home studio, so you can write and record at the same time rather than yeah get a bunch of writing done and then go to an expensive studio where you have forty eight hours to get it all done. And a lot of artists we've talked about throughout our episodes here have done that approach mm-hmm. as well. Yeah, um, and I think it's uh, like the way he described it is like it's kind of like the old school because that's how people used to do things, you know. I mean, back in the day, they used to just write songs. They didn't some sometimes didn't even know if they were going to be able to record them. They just write mm-hmm. the songs, perform them live, and then that was it, sort of thing. Right. Um, and uh, yeah, but yeah, there's sort of different approach instead of because I think he said, yeah, you can get sort of stuck in the computer um, if you're doing it, writing and recording at the same time, sort of thing. Whereas if you have it sort of structure planned out beforehand it's a different vibe mm-hmm. um and uh i think it's i think both ways are great uh, and i think uh, at this point i think they're both creative tools or approaches to writing music right you know, yeah stuck in one way or the other try the other way kind of thing yeah 100 percent. Right? yeah um so, yeah another you know testament to the the duality of these guys they want to try things from different sides yeah and uh he did get out of his basement studio for this one uh, it wasn't all recorded in Vietnam, but they went and did a session um, at a studio out there. Um, he said they were all staying in an apartment and then they'd have to walk across like these fields to like get to the studio to go record kind of thing. Right. And he said it was exactly ha- as he imagined. And one of his reasons for going to Vietnam as well, he said, because a lot of the music that inspired him that he was listening to 
was kind of um, written in the time of the Vietnam War era, you know. So a lot of those, like, if you think about Jimi Hendrix in that time and a lot of that mm -hmm. music that was coming out then, um, it was very much touching upon those issues or it was from that era sort of thing. And he just felt that he wanted a different, you know, input, a different inspiration input, I think, you know, by going somewhere different kind of thing. Right. Um, yeah, because like yeah. looking at America, for example, from another country's perspective and context yeah. Yeah, yeah. and kind of wanting to feel that because yeah. he's not from America, but he was living in America yeah. and America has that kind of worldwide, I don't know, attitude about itself, um, uh, uh. the ego of America, if you will. Yeah. yeah and, yeah. you know, I don't know. I've never really been out of the country too much for extended periods of time to understand that context from yeah. elsewhere no but it's I think there he I just mean, wanted to kind of see that and kind of perceive from another direction yeah i think he also said stuff about like um you know there's no advertising there's no billboards and out <laughs> there kind of thing um that was one of the things he said you know about america is that as much as he loves it as a as a home of music and a home for music for him um there is a lot of other stuff going on there yeah and like he said if he can if he's someone in a position that can have the ability and that's the the radiator don't mind the, the knocking background yeah it's <laughs> tripping me out but let's yeah ignore it if he can have the ability to leave the country for a different perspective then he should take it kind of thing mm -hmm. and he prizes his ability to do that yeah having the opportunity and taking yeah. the opportunity yeah, yeah. while he has it and he said he wanted to share that experience as well he didn't want it to be a solo thing he wanted to invite you know his musical collaborators his dad i think mm -hmm. you know to come out there sort of thing and be with him during this sort of thing yeah to um, experience that yeah. with somebody else yeah yeah and uh do you think we can slit slit in a song from the hanoi album right now as mm -hmm. and then we can yeah no 100 percent. Yeah. i'm just a touch oh one thing i mean yeah i didn't say too many too er too early on in the podcast but Jimi hendrix is a pretty big influence mm -hmm. on him like you said and then another influence i think was frank zappa yeah uh, just for a little fun fact at the end here yeah. And then Hanoi, this Hanoi album, because they did some of the recording in Hanoi, yeah, which is in Vietnam or where? It's, yes, in Vietnam, yeah. So that's yeah. and then I think they were recording all this music in a couple different studios, perhaps. Yeah, um, yeah, that's the thing. I'm not sure if all of Sex and Food was done there, but there was a big right. hefty session, and the session yielded a lot of material. And they were collaborating with musicians out there as well, mm -hmm. who appear more. Uh, more evidently or whatever on the hanoi album yeah 100 percent. yeah but uh, yeah awesome so sex and food and then yeah. hanoi also came out in 2018 yeah we'll get a little let's play diddy off of it this is a jpic Hanoi 4 from ICO1 Hanoi from Unknown Mortal Orchestra. Yeah. But just the abundance of extra material that was recorded whilst they were doing Sex and Food. And uh, yeah, that whole album is just, I mean, I picked that one randomly. Well, not, I, 
kind of ish randomly. Like I was, mm -hmm. I listened to the whole thing this afternoon. I was really into it. Just there's a whole vibe. Mm -hmm. Like put it on another vinyl pick for me. There get, we go. I That'd think. be great. Yeah. I would like to get Sex and Food on vinyl as well, actually. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, and this every track is Hanoi one, two, three, all the way through seven. Uh, Cody, his brother Nelson, Nelson on drums. His dad, Chris Nielsen, as well, also is playing some sax and fugelhorn and keyboards on it. Nice. And I, who I forgot to say, um, his dad, Chris Nielsen, also played some horns on the Multi Love album as well. So, oh, okay. Yeah. Um, his dad? Yeah. His dad was like, because just, just to backtrack for a second, the Multi Love story and the, the three way relationship thing, he said his, his dad was unfazed by the, that situation and he came to visit. And he was like, yeah, it's all cool. Rock on. And ended up playing some horns on the album. So, well, Good for him. That's cool. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I, I like how his dad had a, a, a good storyline throughout. Like a B plot in this story it's, of yeah, Unknown. It, it's because like, you know, in, maybe in some times in other people's lives, that person could be not an enemy, but like a, a very harsh figure mm -hmm. in your life. But, it, but it, he's sober now and... He seems to be sticking with that and able to stay close. And it seems like a family affair. You know, if Rubens has, has his brother and his dad playing on his records and stuff like that. Yeah. It's like, that's pretty cool. You know? No, that is kind of And the circle. fact that he's a family man and Ruben himself is, um, you know, despite these, what some might see as controversial stories, mm -hmm. is a family seems to be a big factor in, in this. Throughout. Some, throughout, yeah. 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 Hundred percent. So I mean, yeah. a great story from yeah. from the music. A great story about uh, Ruben. Yeah, Ruben Nielsen uh, um, and his dad as well. Yeah. So kind of cool stories, cool storylines, interesting plot twists. Yes. Um, a lot great. of good music. So a lot of great music. Yeah, I think this has been a really fun discussion. This was a cool band to check out. No, it was definitely yeah. And also to say um, that uh ruben has also been hit up to collaborate with a few different people and he's collaborated with frank ocean and Chaz bundwick of tori mm. Noir fame okay that would be something i would love to hear so that's another thing to go on our, on our tr uh, map tree of yes. connected musicians though we don't think everything's and also they went on to uh, a certain point uh unknown more orchestra in their early days um went on to a grizzly bear as well okay so, there we go who we did an episode so with way back these guys well. are right in our roots to grooves wheelhouse then. i think so yeah and yeah like you say i'd love to hear the collaborations i don't know i have to dig out what he actually worked on with tori amar and all that well, and like, if yeah. this guy's gonna keep putting out yeah. music without a yeah. name attached to it it's probably already out there <laughs> it's probably done yeah and yeah he's just waiting until yeah. some record label finds him again exactly yeah and starts a new chapter but Jag Jag Jaguar is uh, seemed to be sticking with him and have yeah, been and the label to put out everything so far. Right, all these albums have been on the the Jag Jaguar since the uh, since the second album, yeah, mm -hmm. twenty thirteen. Yeah, well, dope. I mean, they're they're winning. Yes, it's great, man. Uh, thank you for introducing me to them. I, I really love them. It's and, my pleasure. Uh, I think he's a dope producer, mm -hmm. musician. Um, these albums are all really good. Yeah. I really want to go back and just vibe to them. Take some inspiration from it. I'm kind of inspired by mm -hmm. um, this type of melting pot of genres to create something new type sound. Yeah. Like, and yeah. Util utilizing minimalism yeah, yeah. To, to, to 
I don't know. It's a lot going on with these different genre mashups, but then yeah. minimalistic approach. Yeah, yeah. And it, it really helps it all blend together and become one united yeah. groove. Yeah, yeah. So definitely yeah. Yeah. cool stuff. Real good. I mean, that's all I got on Unknown Mortal Orchestra. And now then known, hopefully, to you. <laughs> known at home, Mortal Orchestra. You, the known Mortal Orchestra. <laughs> um, yeah, and if you liked this episode, buy my book. No, um, I don't have a book out yet, but we, we, we should do a Rizzo's book at some point. We will. I think, yeah. Coffee table book. Yeah. Photographs, interviews, insights, yes. tidbits. I don't know who it's for. I, maybe maybe this podcast is for musicians. We were talking about this earlier. Who was our demographic? <laughs> who are we listen, Who are we talking to? Who, who are we listening to and who are listening to us? Well, I mean, that's um, a great opportunity. Let us know who you are. Yeah. Um, and if you have any more tidbits or information, any corrections that we got wrong, you just want to say what's up, hit us up at the email. Roots to Grooves at signalradio.com, S-I-G-N-L radio.com. You can always drop a lovely YouTube comment as well, which a few folks have been doing, mm -hmm. which is very good. Um, and uh, yeah, it's always, yeah, it'd be, it'd be nice to hear some info from our listeners and viewers out there. Yep what they're into and because the thing what i'm getting at is like with the book i think like if if because we're musicians like i don't know if some of our listeners out there are musicians and maybe we can take some like tidbits some facts some interesting approaches some yeah. mindset things from the musicians we're talking about and just highlight those in like a handy little coffee table book you can leave in your studio. Yeah, <laughs> yes. That's actually a great idea. Just riffing on air right now, just coming up with random ideas. But yeah. I like it. Yeah. I love it. Hit us up with those tips. I'm looking forward to hearing it. Looking yeah. forward to hearing from you. But thank you for listening. Uh, we appreciate you. Also looking forward to more unknown, more orchestra releases. We're going to play out with a brand new track they released last year, 2021. Because little do you know, Jesse, we we're in 2022 already with this episode. I'm in the future. We've actually been in the future the last few episodes, but I just realized we're like in March now. Jeez. Yeah. <laughs> we're, going, we're getting far out here. I like it. Hopefully it's March. I don't know. But Join us in the future. Um, a prophetic last song to play because this is the song that came out right now. It's called That Life. There it is. So when you all listen to this in this life, it will, this will be that life. Yes. And when we... And when we we left, we left the last studio, do you remember the name of that song? It was like Exit or something. something yeah, it was, like that. it was like Exit Song or something like that. Yeah. 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 <laughs> exit Theme. I don't know what it was. Yeah, it was something like that. But Still that. Corners, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You remember yeah. that, yeah. We'll have to go back on that episode. But anyway, yeah. without further ado, we'll play out with That Life 2021 Unknown Mortal Orchestra. Check them out. We love you. Peace. Love you Peace. Grooves is a production of Signal Radio. For more music and independent culture, visit signalradio.com. That's S I G N L radio.com.